0: immersive audio podcast in conversations with industry thought leaders practitioners artists academics and entrepreneurs discussing all aspects of this rapidly evolving industry from art science and business to practical insights and project case studies we aim to inform educate explore and unite the community
1: This episode is sponsored by Innovate Audio. Innovate Audio offers a range of software-based spatial audio processing tools. Their latest product, PanLab Console, is a Mac OS application that adds 3D spatial audio rendering capabilities to live audio mixing consoles, including popular models from Yamaha, Midas and Behringer. This means you can achieve an object-based audio workflow utilizing the hardware you already own. Use the code Immersive 2.0 Two zero for a 20% discount on all PanLab licenses. To find out more, visit innovateaudio.co.uk. Hello and welcome to the Immersive Audio Podcast, episode 90, with me, your host, Oliver Cadell and Monica Bowles. Hello. Hi, Monica. How are you?
2: I'm doing good. How are you doing, Oliver?
1: I just... Got back from my holiday. I had a week off, um, traveled down to south of England in Devon. It's a absolutely beautiful county uh, all year round. Autumn is one of my favorite times to visit the area. Uh, it's right by the coast. Had a really good time, feel refreshed, relaxed, ready to smash the rest of the year until the Christmas holidays. What about yourself?
2: I have been uh, mostly staying home, which is actually really nice because I haven't been doing that much lately Um, and spending a lot of time um, in my studio getting some stuff set up. I have a Digital Audio Denmark AX64 that has finally arrived um, and I have been starting to dive into that and I think I have finally satiated my need for I.O. So that is going to be an exciting thing to play with.
1: Excellent. Before we introduce our guest, we've got some news to cover. And um, one of the news items actually quite a big deal. Potentially, we yet to see how big of a deal that might be. Uh, But gauging from the parties involved, we can certainly anticipate that some big changes might come to play in our industry. So what I'm talking about is Alliance for Open Media announced immersive audio model and formats, which abbreviates as IAMF container specification now enables ecosystem wide innovation in immersive spatial audio domain. So it's a bit of a mouthful. So let's read out some key facts. So the organization's first ever audio container specifications to be offered under IMF's royalty free license, which is also a big deal. IAMF is designed to enable creatives to revolutionize immersive audio experiences across a myriad of applications, from streaming and gaming to augmented reality and virtual reality, as well as traditional broadcasting. So launched in 2015, the Alliance was formed to define and develop technologies to address marketplace demand for open standards for media compression and delivery. Board-level founding members include companies such as Amazon, Apple, Cisco, Google, Intel, Meta, Microsoft, Mozilla, Netflix, NVIDIA, Samsung Electronics, and Tencent. And guess who's not on the list? Dolby. We kind of heard little noises here and there. We kind of could see it coming. I think individually, different companies have made like their vague announcements that they're working on a new alternative Monica, what's your first thoughts on this?
2: Um, Well, I am always, you know, for open uh, standards and um, open formats, just open source in general, use a lot of open source technology, of course. Um, So, you know, it'll be nice to see something kind of coming forward in that space. I think we've been missing, you know, a lot of being able to kind of deliver spatial audio Outside of just Dolby Atmos, I think, you know, Dolby Atmos has kind of dominated that space. Um, and so being able to, you know, use ambisonics, um, for example, uh, you know, as a um, in spatial audio presentations um, for different devices would be huge. Um, and being able to kind of have that in more of an accessible delivery format would be great. Um, so... I mean, I definitely interested to kind of see how this, um, goes forward and, you know, if it catches on and how people start to use it. Um, you know, of course, one of the big things with open, um, standards is you have to companies to agree to use them. So we'll see how that goes.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, the, the more competition, the more options for, for the content creators and for the consumers, the better. And they're addressing, uh, three, in my opinion, are very, very important things. So firstly, the let's look at the technicality of the container. It can support indeed the channel-based audio objects and ambisonics. The integration of ambisonics is a big deal. So furthermore, what it also does is that it allows you to integrate spatial audio and non-spatial audio together. So we're talking about two parallel playback streams, for example, you can uh, deploy monaural, uh, stereo, or pre-rendered binaural signals through your two-channel playback stream, so-called headlocked components. Them um, in conjunction with objects ambisonics, channel-based audio, and so on and so forth, which is really fantastic. So we talked about it in the past. Um, that's kind of what we want. Um, all the options available to us so we can pick and choose what's best for the production, for the device, for the situation. It's a relatively new announcement, and this new technology will compete with the existing kind of widely adopted options, and that's an improvement.
2: The last news item we want to touch on um, today um, is some big news that kind of just came out this last week, and it's that Harman Professional Solutions um, has acquired Flux Software Engineering. Um, And for those who don't know Flux, Has created the software Spat Revolution, um, which is a very cool uh, product um, for uh, it's using um, the Spat kind of tool set from EarCam and um, allowing you to do a lot with kind of the live setting. And we had yeah we had Hugo on kind of a while back um, to talk about that software. Um, so now, yeah, they've been acquired and it will be really interesting to see kind of what happens in the future and how that partnership can hopefully advance what they have already done so well. So it'll be exciting to see um, the future and where that goes and what that partnership allows.
1: And last but not least, we had an email which was a correction request, which is quite interesting. And it's to do with our episode we just released um, with the BBC R&D audio team. The correction is about me framing a question with regards to how BBC is funded. The correct answer is that BBC is not funded by UK government. It's funded by TV license payers, people who have TV sets um, and so on and have to pay a license fee on monthly basis. Um, I'm actually one of the license payers. I think it's around 12 British pounds if I'm not mistaken currently. Hold on, there'll be another correction next week. Um, <laughs> but we'll leave it there. <laughs> Our guest today Halina Rice. Halina is an immersive first electronic music producer and AV artist working at the intersection of music, art and technology, with her sold-out live shows being described as part rave, part art happening, creative music that spans from abstract sound design to beat-driven IDM. Her performances and installations are often presented in spatial sound in both physical venues as well as Metaverse and VR environments. Halina also gives masterclasses and keynotes on the use of spatial audio in immersive performance. Hi, Helena, Welcome to the podcast.
3: Hi, thanks for having me. Hello, Helena.
2: Well, it's great to have you on. I'm looking forward to this uh, episode.
1: Can you give a little more about your background and how you got into electronic music production and then how you eventually got yourself into working with spatial audio
3: Interestingly, when I, was, when I was very young, I, I studied um, several kind of traditional instruments. So probably my main instrument then was piano. Um, but my brother actually had loads of electronic uh, music equipment, including drum machines and synthesizers and samplers, etc. So I was kind of familiar with electronic music production almost from a hardware perspective from, from quite a, a young age. But uh, after studying music production to sort of first year of of university, I I then sort of gave it uh, a break and and had another job for for a very long time uh, before I kind of came back to music. And at that point, I was just interested to learn the software. And I ended up signing up um, to do a three-month course at Point Blank uh, Music College in East London. Which is actually a really well-renowned uh, college for electronic music, uh, which I don't know if I was even particularly aware of at the time. Um, but at that time, I, I started getting really into producers like uh, John Hopkins, Rival Consoles, uh, One of Tricks, Point Never, and Arca, and the way that they manipulated and and used sound or used Foley recordings, etc. Um, and that really influenced the the direction uh, that I was going as I was learning the software and understanding um how, how to produce music and uh, and uh, engineer uh to a degree so I, I was also interested on the other side and inspired by um visual installations so um people like Ryoji um where he's using sort of sound almost uh, in, a, in a very egalitarian way with with the visuals and people actually can go and place themselves in those installations um uh, same with United Visual Artists. So I always had this sort of overall feeling about sound and, and picture kind of working together. Um, I was reaching out as a, a, a student then to um, colleges like the Royal College of Art and started working with a guy called Jan Petyrik, uh, who works in various things, including like Blender and Unity. So gaming engine, effectively, uh, visuals. And we started kind of working together I was playing around circuits, uh, electronic music circuits in in London since about 2016. And then in 2019, this amazing opportunity came up to play a show at Abbey Road Studios, which was actually um, like a tech hackathon. And I turned out with with my, well, I I, um, spoke with the organizers beforehand. I have a a sort of uh, short set that I was doing. And they introduced me to L Acoustics um, and specifically to to Guillaume Lenost, who I know has been on this podcast before. And uh, L Acoustics were bringing a a 12.1 system into the auditorium for for that event. And they encouraged me to reprogram my set quite quite quickly in a few days for spatial audio using their Elisa software. So I was a bit kind of, first I was like, I don't know anything about the software and it, it hadn't actually sort of or while I'd been thinking about audio-visual, I hadn't been thinking about spatialization as part of that palette. Um, but once I'd kind of got over the initial learning curve and uh, you know played this set uh, in spatial audio um, at, at Abbey Road, uh, I was really kind of transfixed the, uh, by the idea of it and the possibilities uh, of being able to play with the audio around the audience as, as well as uh, the visual element. So myself and Jan were super excited about uh, taking that forward into an immersive performance. And at that point, you know, the next year, COVID hit, so we had to put some of those plans on hold. Uh, And during that time, I started investigating more, um, working with mixed reality and and virtual reality. So there was a point where I was using Kinect in order to uh, project myself into uh, streamed visuals while I was performing electronic music uh, and live streaming that from from home started sort of self releasing uh, around um each of those projects so each project had a sort of mixed reality world that we would we would launch um uh, around it um but then like end of 2021 the world started opening up again so in 2021 so Guillaume reached out to me again uh, from Acoustics to said do, you know do do we want to do some work together because they were launching um the elisa Studio, so I started uh, talking to them again about um, spatialization and live events. Uh, then I had a really uh, by lucky chance I, I was able to get an art council grant to put on my vision of an immersive event, uh, which I staged at Copeland Gallery. So it's effectively an art gallery that we kind of repurposed for for the event in Peckham in London, and. Um, I used some of the grant in order to hire in a 12.1 um, immersive system uh, from uh, L Acoustics. Uh, that proved to be like a, a really g- a great, great decision, I, I think, because I was able to have uh, the whole spatial audio experience, plus I was projecting visuals, and also I'd learned the basics of programming lights. So we had all three elements uh, going on for for the shows that we did, so I did two shows there in sort of daytime, um, kind of an installation as well, and it received great feedback uh, from the audience. I think almost if nothing else, they, they, there's like this visual sense of these speakers being placed around this gallery in this very uniform way, with the lights were kind of complementing them on the, on the walls, so that the whole thing um, felt sort of super super immersive and very much like it was crossing this boundary between art and music which was which was my purpose i guess and uh following on from there um i was really interested to to sort of take that forward and and um develop that practice uh, uh, effectively i'd say in the next uh, year i started finding places that had um spatial systems that i could play on or if there was an opportunity to work with a venue where we could hire in uh, a spatial sound system uh, that's uh, that's what I would pursue. Um, so the sort of the the best uh, expression of my show as it exists at the moment is using spatial sound as well as the visual and and lighting elements.
2: You know, I just recently got back from traveling around Europe, and your name kept popping up everywhere I would go. <laughs> it was really uh um i mean we we got to meet in london which was great but um i feel like you're, you're currently making quite a name for yourself in your work with immersive performances and so um yeah can you talk a little bit about what you're currently up to and kind of how you're you're taking these um immersive performances forward
3: so almost sort of picking up the story from there uh The interesting thing is once you've uh, done something spatial audio, you're like, where can I play? (laughs) And then you realize that there's there's not a lot of places uh, or venues that have spatial audio systems. Um, One that um, immediately came up for me in London was uh, a place called Eclectic, uh, which are a fantastic uh, venue that um, have their own in-house system, which is uh, sort of custom-built by the organization Aminus, which is run by Christian Duca. And uh, so I pitched a show to them, and they were very happy to, to take that on. And um, it, it was interesting, though, because it's built with their own bespoke kind of Max MSP um, uh, way of controlling the, the speaker layout. But I'd obviously done quite a lot of work already to uh, make the show uh, in Elisa for Copeland Gallery. And that was the first time where I came. Uh, I I came up against the interoperability question is how do you transfer uh, your work from from one spatial system into another spatial system? And and often there's not an obvious or direct way to do that, although I know that, that companies are working on that as we speak. Um, and at that at that time, and, and what I've used for a number of shows since then, is uh, using a Dante virtual sound card. So effectively, because I've got the Elisa processor uh, and controller on my desktop, I could just output at that point 12 speaker signals. And now it's upgraded since um, Elisa 3.0 to 16 speaker signals. I could just send that out to uh, the, their front of house and then they can matrix that back into, into their speaker system. So in a way, it's a sort of first, uh, a sort of hack, uh, in in some senses, to to use the the some of the programming I'd already done, which I tweaked and changed um, for for the venue, and and, and always do for the, for different speaker setups, I'll change it and I'll think about the venue and the venue layout to to complement them the best. But you know, a lot of, of the bulk of the work is is already done. So that was an interesting experience at um, uh, for Eclectic. Um, and then, you know, th- thinking about other sort of uses of it, later that year, I was invited to do a concert uh, in Startbahn, in, uh, which is a community space. It's a church in in Neukölln in, in Berlin, um, as part of Berlin Summerfest. Um, and... There again, this was a point where we hired in again an L-acoustic system uh for this church. And it was a really interesting space because it's completely in the round and they have a mezzanine level as well. And so here we actually put 14 speakers in, so eight on the ground floor in a in a circle, and six on, on the mezzanine level in a circle. And this was great because in a way we actually had two rings on top of each other of um surround sound. Um because uh, the sound from the downstairs wouldn't reach uh, in, with the overhanging balcony, as it were, into the, into the upper part of the church. So it was really interesting to use spatial sound, again, not only from the sense of being able to manipulate sounds around the audience, but also uh, in the sense of being able to get great um, coverage for maybe an unusual unusual venue. So there, there were lots of uh, projects uh, coming up. And at the end of that year, 2022, I played at Earth Hackney, which has its own in-house spatial system, which is already installed by L Acoustics. And, and that's a 17.1.8 system. And again, uh, the, the the feedback from, from that was really great for, from the audience. It, it's interesting to think about what the impact is. And I think impact of spatial audio is very difficult to measure from people. People can very easily articulate to you what they think about the visuals and what they think about the lighting. So stuff that you see is is, is easy to feed back on. People just tend to say, well, yeah, it sounded really good. Um, and how is that different from a stereo system? Um, and some people who might be a little bit more um, informed, maybe maybe they've worked as music producers themselves or have some production background, will say to me things like, "Well, the sound separation in that venue w- was uh, really really excellent." But there is a sense that um, there th- that people do experience, and they'll talk about sounds coming from everywhere. Um, and for instance, at the show at Eclectic, um, a- astonishingly, there was a-, a lady there who runs um, a label called Injazero Records. Who offered me a record deal on the basis that she said I was just standing in the venue and the sounds just were coming from all around me. So she really experienced it in a quite a sensorial way. Uh, and we we did an, an album together for, for her uh label. Um, but it was on the back of her, of the strength of, of that impact um, to, to the listener. So for for me, it's it's definitely something that works really well to complement a show where what I'm trying to do is effectively elicit an emotive response uh, from the audience. And I guess the reason that it suits the material that I produce is that it goes very much from, I go from quite experimental soundscapes through to very beat-driven IDM style tracks. And with the soundscapes, you can kind of in a space behave more like you're in um, an art exhibition. So you don't have to think about uh, the bass and the kicks being sort of centered and and front, and you can fire sounds at people in uh, an unusual or surprising manner around the auditorium. Um, But then over time, sort of towards the end of the set, I tend to move towards um, those more sort of beat centered tracks. And at that point I'll probably focus some of the the kind of core sounds of a of a dance track, which will be you know the bass and the and the kicks and the percussion, into a sort of f- front image a little bit like stereo, but then allow other sounds to exist um, in in sort of three sixty around the, the audience.
1: Well, guys, let's move on to our hot topic today, which is electronic music production and live performance. I'm including production deliberately um, in addition to just live performance because I think, as you already touched on earlier, Alina, it essentially conceive your live performances partially whilst you're in the studio working binaurally, which I think is a really important link um, compared to maybe when um, things are produced for traditional playback um, system like stereo, and then you're trying to do things spatially in situ during your live performance. Can you talk a little bit more about this process and the synergy between two uh, phases of your craft? Um, and also, how does performing with spatial audio differ from performing in stereo, as you have done for a number of years prior to that as well.
3: It, it is interesting because um, I monitor the, the mixes when I'm doing spatial um, performances. I monitor them binaurally. When I'm initially composing or you know producing electronic tracks, I, I will probably do that in stereo. However, the fact that I do immersive and spatial performances informs... Informs my thought process as I'm putting the music together. So a lot of the time I'm thinking this part could work really well, uh, you know, moving around the audience or coming from from above the audience, for instance. so there's there's a degree to which my composition is now being informed um by spatial audio. But when I'm producing initially, it is for stereo and So far, the releases I've done are stereo. I I have sort of experimented with Dolby Atmos mixing for release and hope that the next set of releases I do will also um, be um, immersive. Um, But almost stereo is is still slightly the primary for the recorded side of it. Um, Then uh, I'll move it into, uh, you know, what I'll do is break up those tracks into between 10 and 20 more granular stems, and think about the, the placement of those stems, whether they're mono or stereo um, objects um, around the sort of spatial auditorium. While I initially produce in stereo, there is part of the conception by that around that is uh, about how I can then translate it into um, spatial software and into um, a, a space later down, down the track. Um, So it's interesting as you start to move into space, where you have to start thinking in lots of different dimensions all at once, I suppose. Um, And then in terms of how does that change the way uh, the performance happens, um, the main thing for me about production for performance, let's say, is is the planning side. So, for instance, in the run-up to uh, the event at Hackney Earth, um, and in the run-up to an event I did recently at Lev Festival in Madrid, um, you know, very kindly I, I work quite closely with L Acoustics, obviously, and they very kindly donate um, some of their time and some of their facilities. So I sometimes go to their showroom, and they we will emulate effectively what that setup sounds like as closely as possible as we can, and I'll sit with one of the engineers. And I will initially have a, a, a go at programming it for uh, for the space that, that's upcoming. And then, together with the engineer, we'll play that out and we'll think, oh, um, you know, how could this be better? Is there anything here that doesn't work? Or are there any opportunities to do something that we didn't think about? And it's really good to do that also because obviously the L Acoustics team are so experienced with um, spatial performance that it's interesting to to have their input and and thoughts and ideas as to uh what what I could um, trial um so so yeah it, it's it's good to try and get time in advance to trial through an actual spatial arrangement and not just through a binaural is great for for monitoring and for for building um, the basic file ideally you will Test it in a space where you've got that speaker um, array in some way. Um, better still, like for instance, with Hackney Earth, I actually went in a week prior with Guillaume um, and the sound engineer who would be there on the day, and we played out the set in in the venue. Which you know, a, a lot of times you, you don't have the, the luxury to do that. And again, we were able to sort of go through each track and make notes and just see how we could amend it better because. At the end of the day, you've also got a speaker uh, arrangement that's interplaying with a venue, and and that that gives you different results again. And it's the same it's the same deal as with, with stereo. You know, you you take your stereo, you monitor it live, you monitor it in the studio, and it sounds very different once you take it out into a um, a, a live venue, and the room itself can make make that sound different again. So there's tweaks and amendments, and and so if you possibly can, I, I'd always advise. Um, trying to play out in with that array or with that formation or in in that venue if you possibly can so yeah planning is important
1: so um, you mostly use elacoustics elisa system to create your live mixes can you talk about the system in general what hardware and software components incorporates and also what do you find specifically appealing about it to you
3: in some senses, uh, it was almost by happenstance that I ended up working with L Acoustics because, as mentioned, I, I met them uh, at this event at Abbey Road Studios. It's partly also that they are a very generous business and ge- generous team in wanting to support artists uh, and creatives like myself to, to explore what is possible with spatial sound um, using their Elisa software. So uh I should also add I live like uh, half an hour away from their showroom. So maybe there's there's uh, a little bit of um, circumstance um there. But um I have in in the meantime, you know, trialed working with things like Dolby Atmos tools and also looked at things like an en- envelope. Um they're fairly they strike me as fairly similar tools in in many senses. Um obviously their softwares in from all the providers are are changing. Uh, over time and people are sort of developing their unique side. I think what has probably fit the best for me with L Acoustics is that their speciality as a business is live performance. Um, you know, a lot of their business is actually enormous uh, arena tours. Um and they are employing immersive technologies for 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 things like that. So for instance, you know, Bonivert tours with um, Elisa and and so does um, you know, the Adele Las Vegas re- Residency is an Elisa system. So and live for me is a key focus but they also sort of they also employ a lot of their software for um, immersive and installations so they worked with Brian Eno on, on um, installations before. So it, it kind of suits me because on one hand I am trying to do the sound design style installation pieces um, but also on my Touring side, I'm gradually working sort of my way through, through um, you know, bigger and bigger venues um, where the capabilities they have at the top end might become more relevant to me. I suppose so. I think I think that's probably why um, I've worked sort of so closely with with uh, with L Acoustics so far. You know, I'm interested in exploring tools always and. And uh, there's a possibility I might be working with, with 4D sound um, on, on a project at some point soon. Um, I, I definitely I, I went to their um, installations at uh, Stone Nest in, in London, and that was very interesting from um, an artistic presentation uh, almost of um, of the speakers uh, in, in the room and how how that's expressed within a space. And all of them were so different in what they were doing. But for instance, uh, when Nick opened up, the sound that she was making, uh, we were all kind of sitting just on, on the floor and the sounds were just coming around and it was just this beautiful um, combination of the the building and um, the, the way the sound was expressed. It was almost quite ghostly. It was super... Um, super emotive, super moving. and um that that's kind of the that's what I love most about life. I love live being moving. Uh, so I think that and I think that's what spatial can achieve when it's used in the right way.
2: you know, I'm always interested in how monitoring works in a live performance setting with these kinds of systems. um and so was, yeah, just wanting to kind of talk a little bit more in depth about um are you actually listening to a binaural render of your piece? Are you listening to the space while you're doing these live performances?
3: So f- for me, at the moment, um, I, I don't use a, a spatial monitoring because, as mentioned, everything I do is um, programmed. So I am running out of my Ableton set uh, all, all the audio, plus I'm running all the, the lighting, and I'm operating the visuals, which are connected uh from a from a separate pc so uh there was a point when i started doing this where I, I was also had a connect camera that i was bringing into performances and i realized that it was probably um a little bit and some audio reactive pieces and i realized it was a little bit too much and that i needed to simplify a lot of it so for instance on the um the visual side i would started flat, flattening things to sort of dot mobs in the first instance uh the lighting side kind of, kind of runs itself but from the audio side, if I'm doing spatial audio, kind of I have to have everything pre-programmed um, because there's just not the not the luxury of time to, to be able to um, play with that at the moment, although that would be a goal to, to be able to, to experiment with that in the, the future. So that being the case, it's usual, usual that I've either done a, a run-through, as I mentioned, at, say, um, the L Acoustics showroom. So I've actually monitored what I think it's going to sound like um in the space and when I'm doing a sound check I'll sort of stand centrally and sort of check that everything is is as I thought it was going to be but then when I'm actually playing on stage at the moment I just have a a stereo mix because it's just a reference because I'm also then manipulating some stuff live over over the top so I'm, I'm playing some um VSTs and and samplers and stuff so at the moment there's uh to the moment, I keep it kind of kind of simple. However, um, that being the case, uh, I I would in the future like to diversify what I do with the show. So I have sort of one one immersive live set, let's say at the moment that I'm running. But in the future, I'd like to diversify and and do different things. And maybe you know, for one show, maybe forget visuals and forget lights and hone in on on the audio then you, you know uh, I've seen plenty of people working with various tools, whether it's sort of an iPad or even a, like a hacked Game Boy um, to spatialize sound live, um, at, at which point, um, yeah, uh, spatial monitoring would probably uh, be important for that. And, and something else I should mention is, is I've done kind of installations where I'm performing in the round, where in fact I'm in the sweet spot <laughs> for the audience. So um, if I've got 12 speakers Um, around me I'm actually in the best possible position to monitor what's happening in the room
2: so maybe kind of moving on from there um, so you're mentioning that a lot of your content is pre-rendered for the immersive space Um, do you mind talking a little bit about what your performance setup is like Um, are you using what softwares you're using how you're able to kind of send um, do your triggering and things like that
3: if I talk about my my setup as a total, so I use Ableton as my main door, so that's what I produce in, uh, and then I will bounce, uh, as mentioned, some granular stems between ten and twenty granular stems, um, which I um, place into clips and then trigger as scenes um, for each of the tracks. So there's effectively some sort of pre-rendered audio. And then over the top of that, I also have access through Ableton to various VSTs and samplers that I can kind of perform live over the top of the, the kind of bass track. In order to deliver that spatially, I'll use the um, ELISA software. So what happens is uh, an ELISA plugin sits on each one of the tracks where I have these granular stems, uh, and and that's going to describe one Particular audio object and it communicates with uh, the ELISA controller. Um, and the ELISA controller is where you can apply basically all the metadata. So, whether that's um, the pan, the elevation, uh, distance, uh, using the ELISA room engine, uh, for, for instance, um, you, you can program those in uh, using the controller for the metadata from the plugin you can access the various pieces of metadata. And then I use Ableton Automation within the bounced audio clip to, um, for instance, describe what the pan information or elevation information is um, for the sound. And obviously within that, you can draw uh, different shapes. You can move sound around. So it's it's quite uh it's almost quite fiddly to do in some senses because it's not an automated process but it's very specific and it's specific to my vision of what what should happen to that sound at any one at any one point. I work with lights in a similar way so everything is kind of pinpoint accurate to to various points um of the track. But going back to the spatial audio um that data then gets uh, relayed into uh, by the controller the controller is working with an it's either working with an onboard processor or if I'm working direct into an acoustic spatial system they will have a a hardware processor and I will connect via ethernet uh to to that and uh, uh yeah, so that's to deliver the the spatial sound um and then uh the lighting as mentioned I have hardware box Uh, which communicates by USB with my Ableton project. And again, the lighting is programmed all by uh, automation of all the various DMX um, points. Um, And then on the visual side, I have uh, visuals being weirdly served through OBS because I started during live streaming. So I should probably migrate to Resolume at some point. And then through a local networking connection, um, when I trigger a scene, which triggers all the audio, it also triggers the visual and the lighting at the same time. So all being well, if the stays steady, then uh, everything is th- delivered in sync. And then I can also step in Ableton using Push. I usually use Push as a controller. Uh, step over to, to my live tracks and then perform using Push um, over the top of... Everything that's going on, so I'm a bit of a one man band uh, in in many senses. Well,
2: that's very cool, and I know we've you know I know you've talked a little bit about you know how you've been touring a lot of this, um, and I want to get a little bit deeper into you know what that's been like and what the challenges um, and or successes of working with so many different spaces has been, and you know have you found it hard to perform? Um, the, in spaces that have the te- your technical needs?
3: Um, yeah, so when it comes to spatial audio, as mentioned before, the, the issue is that there's not a lot of venues that are pre-equipped. And then when you start thinking about hiring spatial audio in, it's really expensive. <laughs> and your ticket prices probably won't cover it. So, you, you know, I manage and I also market all, all of my shows and even a sold-out show in most stereo venues, I wouldn't have the additional profit bandwidth to afford to bring in a spatial system. So the the times that I've done that have usually been funded. So by the Arts Council, uh, when I did that in the UK, um, working with uh, the guys in Berlin, they had some funding from uh, the Culture Summerfest. Um, Also in uh, the Old Market in Brighton, Uh, it was a really interesting project. They were given funding... Um, to develop their space into an immersive space which is very far it's a really future facing of them so they took the audience space of a of what is a traditional theatre and used the funding to to input uh, to put in large uh, screens really powerful projectors so it's almost a bit like a white cube kind of space Uh, and then we also hired in an acoustic system so we had a 12.1 system and that's where I did a show in 360 visuals with 360 sound, producing some bespoke content where the, the sound and the visual sort of followed each other around the room, which is for me, that's a really interesting thing to, to be exploring in in the future. But again, that that was a a funded opportunity. So um, places where there, you know, there are spatial systems, obviously as Hackney Earth, which is the sort of show venue for Acoustics in London. Um, recently, I was at Amsterdam dance event uh, because there's a club called The Other Side uh, in Amsterdam. Uh, and they've just uh, invested in an elacoustics 14.1.5 system, even though, again, they're quite dance related, um, which is not the automatic association of where Spatial Sounders um, has been placed in the past. Uh so we did an event there and we had a full house and they had a great reception uh from the audience at, at that event uh, also. Um so really really fun to to play there and a great opportunity for for me to uh help showcase their new system. Um yeah and there's obviously institutions um particularly spatial sound starts to tend over into trend over into academic um style institutions and Places where it's about artistic research. Um, and there, there's still several places uh, in the world that I, I would like to work with, like, for instance, Monom in Berlin. But yeah, a lot of the time I realise that my set in the real world at the moment has to be modular in the sense of being able to be played out in stereo as well as spatial sound. But, you know, as time goes on, either more venues will start fitting out with um, spatial sound, or the companies that are the manufacturers may be more invested in creating showcase um, areas where uh, people like me can can play. Um, the other place is festivals. So, uh, so Monica, you uh, kindly came along to the show I did at Lev Festival in Madrid, uh, and they had one room of 8.1. And I think I may have been the only person to fully use that in a spatial sense. But my understanding is that there's lots of festivals that will build sort of spatial stages. And so art artists like me have more opportunities to perform there.
2: So yeah, as you said, I got to see you uh perform at Love and it was a great time. And I, I thank you so much for having inviting me out uh to get to check out uh your performance. Again, I'd heard so much about what you do and it was really cool to see um, you in action, especially before we can kind of, and before, before we got to have you on this podcast.
3: <laughs> yeah. Thanks for coming. The
2: last question I, I think yeah. I'll ask to kind of wrap this up. Um, are there any lessons that you've learned that you want to share for those wanting to perform in immersive environments?
3: Preparation. I've obviously talked about that a few times. Um, so just being aware that it, it do, it is more input and it is more preparation if you are going to do immersive but the payoff is is huge um so really well worth doing it I mean one of my main things is to to try if you're interested in performing in uh immersive um spaces in more immersive audio definitely um give it a try and a lot of people I meet I think get put off a little bit by the fact that there's another software to to learn but as I mentioned before having trialed a few of the softwares a lot of them are are actually once you've got past the first learning curve, they're actually easier to to use than than you think. Um, and also, there's no there's no rules at the moment of how you should use spatial audio. So I think people worry as well, like what what should I do with it? How should I work with it? But um, it's the the lesson is that you trial things and and try different things. Um, you know, it, you there are some things that might make sense. So for instance, if you're doing a beat driven track, don't send the kicks spinning round the room too fast, uh, because no one will even be able to, to take it in. But then again, you could do that and maybe it's a new creative effect. I don't know. Um you could say, for instance, that it's good to think, well, the lowest parts of the track you want to place sort of in a horizontal plane. And if you happen to be working with elevation, maybe some of the higher vocals or higher synths, etc., or sound effects are what should sit above you. But then equally, you could say, well, maybe you could play with that and and the the sort of sense of what the gravity of that that sound should be. You know, don't be don't be afraid to to trial and don't be afraid to sort of get um, to sort of get stuck in uh, with with the software. Um, I would say an important one would be checking systems in advance. So I usually do a tech call with a venue anyway before I go, but particularly in the case of spatial audio and particularly if for instance you've got you've written it in one software and you need to check what the compatibility is or whether it's possible to for instance matrix into them with a Dante virtual sound card just make sure that you have a uh, a call with the tech team before and if possible send over test files because i think that's it's another area where it, it will always happen but it'll take a lot longer on the day to to sort out so i think just you know with any added piece of tech always allow yourself extra time um for for trialing. But yeah, I again I, I am very enthusiastic about encouraging people to take up working in spatial audio because it's such a hot topic. And you know, there's so many venues that will start installing these systems. And they really want more content and they're really excited to work with people who uh, build stuff for for immersive experiences. Audiences want immersive experiences. It's definitely a a, a trend. Um, so you know, I I just think it's really important for anyone who's who's sort of working production now to to get on board uh, with it. And obviously, I'm talking a lot about live, but you know, re- recorded also is a is a huge and growing topic and um, and uh, a really important one. Uh, for people to to learn about and experiment with.
2: So moving forward, uh, yeah, Helena, what are your plans for the future? How are you trying to, um, yeah, keep expanding what you're doing?
3: So, yeah, so I, I spoke earlier a little bit about um, the installation I did at Brighton, the old market, um, where we paired both um, a horizontal plane of 12.1 um, speakers along with 360 um, visuals. And for that, some some of my visuals I just remapped uh, uh, around the room sort of four times. Other visuals we created afresh, which were um, almost looked like objects that moved with the sound around the room. And then you start to get into sort of creating a virtual object uh, in in the room. And I feel like I've only really just scratched the surface of, of doing that um so I would love to do more work that involves either sort of 360 or, you know, a partial wrap around um projections which more kind of immerse the audience and make them feel like they're sort of that the audio is almost a, a a real thing um in partnership with the the visual experience. Um so that's one area. Um I'd also like to redevelop the content sort of for a full immersive experience. So at the moment, you you know, I'm taking stuff around clubs where you have maybe a projection screen and you've got some lighting and, um, you've maybe got spatial audio as well, but it's, it's still, you're still in that venue. It would be great to do a full venue takeover where you fully, fully dress the venue, um, as an installation, as it were. So that's something that Ryoji Akeda achieves with with his installations. It's almost like sometimes he creates almost like a catwalk that people are on and there are barcodes being sort of uh, projected below them. So they're in, they're actually in the installation. So I would like to create something with 360 sound and uh, visuals that really just places people right in the center of the experience. And it may be that I don't have to be there So it's something that plays, you know, it's a sort of um, looped piece that people can experience. In releasing terms, as I mentioned, I had a great time. So at the Dolby Labs, um, very kindly, they sort of took me through mixing mixing for Dolby Atmos. And for releases next year, I I definitely want to make my next release in in an immersive um, format for that. Um and then finally um a bit I didn't touch on before is I did a um a, a metaverse performance last February with a company called Condensed Reality who are based in Bristol and we broadcast that live uh with myself being mapped as an avatar into a kind of uh, an auditorium which was built in Unity um and we Uh, broadcast it live in uh, binaural audio. Um, I then took those assets and uh, rebuilt them with a a researcher in spatial audio um, for a VR application. And actually um, that um, experience, which is the experience of my concert, but in VR, is being used uh, for a research project Uh, by Victoria Fucci, who is uh, a researcher, a doctoral candidate, to explore um, the the emotive impact uh, of the delivery of visuals and and sound together and also what happens if you start playing with latency, et cetera, uh, between the visuals and sound. Um, But also uh, I would like to work further in, in VR and potentially mixed reality. So there's a couple of companies I'm talking to right now in order to to push forward um a VR or mixed reality but with with spatial audio experience of my performance because i i do think while a lot of people don't have access to the headsets or people don't look for content like that right now it's something that's growing and evolving and it is definitely uh, going to be a way of reaching new audiences In the future, and be able to reach audiences with experiences that are really kind of super otherworldly, which again is sort of part of my um, my my objective with uh, with an audience. So, so yeah, so there's sort of like live events, the recorded side, and um, this virtual, uh, um, creating a virtual world and a virtual experience, all with spatial audio integrated.
2: So what is the best way to find out more about yourself and the work you do?
3: Um, sure. So you can um, find me at my website uh, is com. On Instagram, I'm rice underscore music. And on YouTube, I'm just YouTube slash rice. So those are probably the best places to start.
1: What piece of advice could you give to anybody that helped you in your career?
3: Sure. I think... I feel like music overall is such a huge subject and there's so many kind of iterations and within that even sort of spatial audio is a really big subject. Um, and I think maybe don't get don't get too overwhelmed. I mean, maybe this is sort of how I felt about it that it could be there's so much that you could know about spatial sound. There's, you know, people who have sort of doctorates in it and that there's a lot I feel I, I don't know and I'm always learning. Um, but in a way, my approach is always just kind of get stuck in. <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, if you have the opportunity to either play on a system or to get funding in order to bring in a system, just to, to do it and to trial. Um, and in some ways, I, I quite like the fact, as, as I've referred to before, that there's no rules. Um, and... It's an open book just for people to to um, try different things and I think remember as well that the the audience is kind of with you in, in that they they are interested in having new formats delivered to them, and they're really they're, they're open minded and interested if if you're trying uh, new things somehow that that kind of conveys yeah just just keep focused on just keep focused on your intent in your material and how what you how you think that's going to come across and how you can use this tool um, to uh, communicate that and do it because it's fun and because you love doing it and um, you know that that kind of communicates across uh, to to an audience as well so don't be afraid to have fun and, and make mistakes as well don't be afraid to make mistakes
1: Halina Rice it's been a pleasure thank you for talking to us today
3: thank you so much for inviting me onto the podcast
0: If you enjoy the podcast and would like to show your support please consider becoming a patreon not only are you supporting us but you will also get special access to bonus content and much more find out more on our official patreon page www.patreon.com immersive audio podcast you've been listening to the immersive audio podcast hosted by oliver Cadell and monica bowles This episode was produced by Oliver Cadell and Emma Reese and included music by Rhythm Scott. Got an idea for an episode or want to comment on something we've discussed recently? Drop us an email at podcast at 1618digital.com or find us on Twitter at iAudioPodcast. If you've enjoyed our show, head to our page on iTunes and leave us a review and rating. It really helps us out. Visit ImmersiveAudioPodcast.com to access show notes and other episodes and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening.
2: Looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? We're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.